Kings chapter number 2. 1 Kings chapter number 2, and we'll dive right in tonight and uh, see where we get to and get through 1 Kings, and next week we'll look at 2 Kings. If I get through the message and there's a little bit of time left by the end, I will, we can play the video then. We'll see where we're at on time tonight. And so we'll go ahead tonight. You're in 1 Kings chapter number 2. And look down at verse number 1. The Bible says, Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. Now something that I'll just give you a little thought here as we dive through here tonight. You know, this world has many ideas of what a real man is. David explains here what a real man is. A real man, in verse number 3, um, keeps the charge of the Lord his God. He walks in the ways of God. He keeps his statutes and his commandments. That's what a real man does. I know in our world we have manliness and macho-ness and all those things. In Montana, you weren't real, remember this morning? You're not a real man unless you own a gun. But you can be a real man and not own a gun. I got two I carry all the time with me. And uh, got a few laughs with that. But that was, I don't know if you should be like or not. But it said to his son Solomon in verse number four, that the Lord may continue his word which they concern me, saying, If thy children to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, saith he, a man on the throne of Israel. Moreover, thou knowest also that Joab, and he goes into all these different things, he wants him to take care. But we see here that David is on his deathbed here. David's life has been lived. We've talked about in the first, uh, as we went through First and Second Samuel, we've seen the first two kings of Israel. We've seen Saul. We've seen David. And David, there was a lot of good things in David's life. There's also a lot of bad in David's life. But David was a man after God's own heart. And then we see tonight his son Solomon. If I were to give a title to first kings, it would be this. Wisdom turns to foolishness, and influence turns to relevance. Irrelevant. It's supposed to be irrelevance. And Jay didn't quite get that on there, or I gave it to him wrong. could be either way. I want you to understand tonight, Solomon had so much going for him. You go to chapter number 3 of first kings here. And we're looking at a little bit of Bible here as we dive in. But look at verse number 5. It says in chapter number 3, And Gibeon appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast shown thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made my servant king instead of David my father. But I am but a little child. I know not how to go out and, or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people. Thou hast chosen a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for a multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? 
And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, nor hast asked for riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment, behold, I have done according to thy words. And lo, I will give thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I also give thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall be so there shall be any among the kings like unto thee all thy day. And it will walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments. As thy father David did, then will I lengthen thy days. And we see, and as we get into 1 Kings, you, you understand and know that Solomon is one of the wisest men that have ever lived. And other than Jesus Christ, I would say he's the wisest that's ever lived the Bible. And God took a man and raised him up, and there were a lot of great things that took place under the reign of Solomon. I want to talk about that tonight. I want to talk about what took place towards the end of his reign. And we'll go through all these different things, dive in tonight and get into the notes. We see in the book of First and Second Kings, the nation of Israel makes major changes. The nation Joshua led from the wilderness into the promised land in order to be a to the nation ends up doing the same mistakes that all those nations they were supposed to drive out of Israel did. When we look here, once again, like in Samuel, they were one book. First and second Kings, they were originally one book, cover about 400 years of history. Of the, of history. They open up with Solomon taking the throne of David, and it, the book of second Kings ends with the destruction of Jerusalem. 400 years, quite a bit transpires. At the beginning of 1 Kings, they're building a temple. At the end of 2 Kings, that temple is being burnt down by Nebuchadnezzar. It starts out with a stable, unified Israel that's blessed under the leadership of David and then his son Solomon, and it ends with the fall of Jerusalem and the deportation of many Jews to captivity in Babylon. It'd be the death of David, and it closes with the death of a king, first here, a man by the name of Ahab. And there's a big difference between David and Ahab. The first 11 chapters talk about the 40 wonderful years of Solomon's reign over Israel. The second 11 chapters cover the first 80 years of a divided kingdom. We see that Israel split. We'll talk in a few minutes why this happened. Northern Israel and southern Judah. And why did they split? What happened? How did this all happen? We'll look through the book and go from 1 Kings tonight, just through 1 Kings, and try and tie all those things together and see how people go from being united in a great kingdom to Babylon coming in and wiping them out. That's what we're going to look at tonight. Number one, you're following along in the outline. We'll look at number one. We see the seeds of decline. First thing that we see is Solomon's reign. Solomon's reign. The book starts with David's death and Solomon's anointed to be the next king. Chapter 2, as we read a few minutes ago, a lot of the things that you see David talk to Solomon about sounds a lot like what Moses said to Joshua back of uh, Deuteronomy. David and Solomon begins to reign, and the Lord blesses him. Solomon's prayer, as we read a minute ago, was an understanding in chapter number three, and everything was going so well. 
Chapters 5 and 6, Solomon builds the temple that David dreamed of and prepared for. Solomon's temple is built, and it's the first temple Israel's ever had. He builds his own palace in chapter number 7. And in chapter 8, God's glory fills the temple, and Solomon dedicates the temple to God. Now go with me to chapter number 9. Great victory is taking place. And yet we see God come in once again to Solomon with a warning here. Chapter number 9, and look at verse number 1. It says, And it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all Solomon's desires which he had pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time, as he appeared unto him again. First time he appeared, remember the Lord asked him, What shall I give you? All that. So look at verse number 2. It says, Number 3, And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer. And thy supplication has made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there for. And mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. Now look at God's conditions here. And if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, and to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and will keep my statutes and my judgments. Now, just think with me for a minute. That's awful nice talk about David, isn't it? We see the scripture and what the Bible tells us, all of David's flaws. Do you see what the Bible says right here? That is, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. He does not view us the way we view ourselves. He views us in light of his son. And so did, was David perfect in all these things? <laughs> no. But that's how he was. It's a great picture of God's grace and God's mercy. There's a lot of other things about David right here. But he doesn't. And look at verse number 5. The Bible says here, Then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever. As I have promised David thy father, saying, There fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. But, look at verse 6, If ye shall be shall it all turn from following me, ye or your children. Now, remember, everything's going well. The kingdom's prospering. The temple's been built. Solomon's house's been built. Solomon, the, Israel's doing great at this. And God comes in with a warning. Look at verse 6. But if ye shall it all turn from me, ye or your children, will not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have hallowed for my name, will I cast out. And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. And at this house which is high, every one that passeth by it shall be astonished and shall hiss. And they shall say, Why hath the Lord done thus unto this land and to this house? And then shall answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God who brought them forth out of their, father, and their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have taken hold upon other gods and have worshipped them and served them. Therefore hath the Lord brought upon them all this evil. God gives them and gives Solomon a warning. Hey, Solomon, you do things my follow me. There's going to be great blessings that happen. You know, a lot of times we want to look at the Bible and we look at things that God says, the promises of God. But do you see how God told Solomon here, there were great promises. But God told Solomon, 
Now this is what you have to do. You don't keep and you don't get the blessing. Now, when we look at this, one of the things I want to remind you is this, that after seasons of great victory, which Solomon was having in his life, we are very vulnerable for failure. After seasons of great faith, we're vulnerable for great doubt. At the end of the message tonight, we're going to look at Elijah for a few minutes. After seasons of great humility, we're vulnerable for great pride to creep in. Chapter number 10, we see that the queen, and she comes, and the she, it was even greater than what she imagined it was. Everything was going great in Israel for King Solomon. And then we get to chapter number 11. Go to chapter number 11 and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Zidonites, and the Hittites. Of the nations concerned, the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their God. Solomon love had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Verse 4, And it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. You see that Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians. All the things that God was trying to keep his people from, Solomon started doing. You see the seeds of decline here. We see the destruction, the fullness. A wise man probably got thinking he was wiser than God. That would be my take. Solomon's a very wise man. But God made it very clear every Israel there's a portion of the law that they're supposed to read. For sake of time, you could read Deuteronomy chapter 17. And God made it very clear about things of Israel. That the kings, when they were kings, they were not supposed to marry many women because their heart could be turned away from God. He also warned them about um, the wealth that they had, the horse, all those different things. God had a whole set of plans. He commanded against doing certain things. We see that Solomon did opposite of what God thought. Make sure you understand something. You can be some of the wisest people in the world, and you can be turned into a fool in a matter of minutes. Don't ever get thinking too highly of yourself and of your opinion and what you think. This book should always trump everything we think. Because God knows everything. His way is greater than our ways. His law is what we need. And Christians today, we have a lot of Christians that are near, not, not near as wise as Solomon. But they act like they can mess with sin. They can do all the things they want to with their lives. And nothing's going to happen. Don't mess around with things God says not to. Solomon, what a tragic fall takes place. And we see number one, the, um, the seeds of decline during Solomon's reign. It starts out so well and comes to an end so tragically. Number two, the advance of the decline. The king vision. Chapter 12, chapter 15, Israel is divided into two. And it's because of Solomon's son, Rome. But let me just tell you something. It all started because of Solomon and what he did. 
I want you to look with me at chapter number 12 and go down with me to verse number 16. So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not to them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion have we in David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, now see to thine own house, David. So Israel departed unto their tents. But as for the children of Israel, which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the tribute, and all on him with stones, and he died. Therefore King Rehoboam made speed to get him up to his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. Solomon's son comes into power. He's the new king. And he asks some of the older people, how should I rule? He also asked some of his peers how he should rule. One thing you've got to remember, there's wisdom in mature, aged people. They've been around the block a few times. The other night. I think it's a very important thing. One of the things that I try in life as a pastor, I, if I need a pastor, I don't go to pastors that are my same age because they're probably going to know about as much as I do. And there are some that might be way better. I try to find older men who are more seasoned. You're having problems with a marriage. You know, you say, well, pastor, you've been married less than me. Why should I come to you? Well, I'm going to give you plenty of Bible principles, and I think you should. That's why God gives you a pastor to help you. It's one of the reasons why he does. But also say this, there are many who've been married a long time. You probably get some good advice from them. If they still sit next to each other and they like each other, they've been married almost 50 years, that's something to, that's, that's pretty special right there. But Rehoboam basically says his pinky finger is thicker than his dad's waist. And if you thought I was, if you are a leader, you haven't seen anything yet. And Israel wasn't going to be a part of that. So the kingdom gets divided. Jeroboam, who had been promoted in Solomon's kingdom, is asked to be king over the ten tribes. So Israel splits. Now I'll put a picture up on the screen for you, and I was going to work on that. But Marquise totally threw off the computer back there tonight. I still don't know what he did, and I think we're okay. But I didn't get to get my picture on there, so I'm blaming Marquise that's not back. I come in, and he's back there. He's like, I don't know what I did. That's always a problem when someone says, I don't know what I did. And so new church law that's going to go in the Constitution, Marquise cannot touch the church computer. Marquise or Russ, either one of them, we'll keep both of them off of it. I've seen Russ with technology, too. I was just waking you up, Russ. You were asleep over there, so it's okay. Get you back with us. I want to get you back with us for a minute, so... Or maybe you're already gone, never mind. But Israel splits. The ten tribes go with Jeroboam as the north. That's what Israel was. Two tribes stay with Rehoboam south. That's Judah. So Israel now is split into two. You have Israel, the ten northern kingdoms, and you have Judah, two southern king, the tribes there together. Um, he keeps Israel and those things. The northern kingdom, Jeroboam, Samaria is the capital. And Jerusalem's the capital for Judah. And so... Israel ends up divided for almost 400 years, but we see a long line of kings on both sides of things. And I'm working on, it's not going to be anytime soon, I, I'm always working on sermons, but I've been working on going through all the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. And you could see, start, starting with Solomon going, I mean with Saul going all the way along, and then when you get to where the kingdom splits after Solomon, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And you see, you really can't say there were many good kings 
on Jeroboam's side of things. And Jeroboam had a lot of problems in his life. I don't think you'd find one. There are several good kings on Rehoboam's side. And I believe that that's because of David and Joseph. Hezekiah was a pretty good king. We go through and the list goes back and forth. But I'm working on a sermon series to go through all the kings and to talk about them. So there, but I might be about 100 years old by the time. Who knows? Um, but we see the kingdom splits. Israel, though, gets taken captive by Assyria a long time before Judah's taken captive by Babylon. And so we see the division that's there. Nations worshipped idols. The northern kingdom built two golden calves. And we see their stubbornness, their self-centeredness. It's astounding at times when you look at it. But then I think about myself, and I have a little bit of compassion there. See number three tonight, we see the fruit of the decline. We see Israel's plumb in chapter 15 and 16. These two chapters cover several decades and describe the kingdom's plummet. Jeroboam's son, Nadab. And then we see how he's assassinated and his son and Zimri kills him and becomes king. Zimri commits suicide and Omri becomes king. And you see all these things happen and all this happened because Solomon planted the seed of wickedness a short time before that. We see number four and lastly tonight for first we see the ends of decline. And the end of the, chapter, end of the book of first Kings deals with a lot and Ahab. The last six chapters tell the story of King Ahab, king of Israel, and it talks about the prophet Elijah. Here on out, the rest of the chapter, what ends up happening is this, and what we see with Israel was, God has prophets or preachers who would call out idolatry and injustice, reminding Israel to repent and to obey and to keep each king accountable. That's what the prophets were there for. Elijah was one of them. And we see that Israel was giving kings their own character. It was hard-hearted towards God and his words. God gave them a king that was hard-hearted towards his word. And God would speak through prophets, not kings. Remember, God sent Nathan to David. Well, Elijah would confront Ahab. And the study of Elijah, you want to do a study for yourself and something that will be a blessing in your Christian life and be good for you, take Elijah and study him. A while back, I did a study for the teen days. We went through the life of Elijah. And we see a great, see so many great things happen. Remember, he goes and says there's going to be a famine. And then God tells him to go by this river. And the famine comes, and the river dries up. God sends him to a widow to take care of him. To the widow, she says, I've got just enough meal here for my son and I to have last meal. And God does great things. And God works in great ways. We see shortly after that time that Elijah stands up against 450 prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal are out there trying to cut themselves and trying to get there. God, I love the trash talking that Elijah's doing. Oh, so your God must be asleep. He can't, or maybe he can't hear you. I don't know what your problem is. And then we see Elijah, he has them bring a bunch of water and put it all over the sacrifice. And I'll tell you something. 
I know I'm not an outdoorsman and I'm not a Montanan, but I do know this. Don't pour water all over the wood you start a fire with. That's not the smart thing to do. I like to pour gasoline on it because, and then your fire starts right up. That's me. It works great every time. You never have an issue. Who needs to buy those little fire starters? They, aren't, they don't work very good, and they're very expensive. A little gasoline goes a long ways to help a fire get started that you're trying to have. If I ever start one in the little pit that we have, a little gasoline is going just fine. Kids, don't listen to what I just said. Don't ever play with gasoline. Just remember that tonight. But when we, so they pour water, and the fire falls from heaven, takes everything, and wow, what a victory takes place. And this is something I want to give to try and be an encouragement to you and help you as we round the finish line at 654. Go with me to chapter number 18, 1 Kings chapter 18. And then when you get there, flip to chapter 19. One more chapter. One more chapter. And so the scripture says, chapter number 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent, you see, Ahab couldn't take himself. He had to go tell his wife all that the prophet was doing. And Jezebel took care of everything. Have you ever heard anybody name their daughter Jezebel? I don't think I've ever heard of that. There's a reason. And she's right here in the scriptures before us. And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow of this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belonged to him, and left his servant there. And he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. That is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. God, the man who got all that meal for the widow, the man who called fire down from heaven, says, God, just end life. One of the things that we see is with Elijah, we see a man who dealt with depression in his life. You see it very right before your eyes. And it's real stuff. It's not something that we should joke around about or mock. It's real and it happens. Now, I am not an expert on depression. I'm not an expert on anxiety and in those areas of life. But I want to give you, I want you to see just a couple quick things that God does, first of all. We see verse number five, and as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked of the coals and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink and laid him down again. One of the things, if you're going through a hard struggle, maybe depression, whatever the case may be, just going through a real time in the Christian life, one of the things that you read about right there in that passage is the fact that sleep is important. He was on the run from Jezebel. And you don't start coming to him and trying to straighten him out right away. The first thing the Lord lets him do, he lets him sleep. And then what does he do? He wakes him up and has him eat. And then he has him go back to sleep. The Lord gives his beloved sleep. A lot of times when we're going through a hard time in our life, 
we stay awake a lot and we don't sleep. One of the things I want to encourage you with is sleep. And then we get off on the things that we do. But we see this is how the Lord did it. He slept. He ate. Then he slept again. Now keep on reading. In verse number 8, And the angel of the Lord came to him again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights in the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What? Here, Elijah. And he said, I have been very jealous for the For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets which, with the sword. And I, even I only, am left that they should seek my life to take it away. He said, Go forth and stand upon the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. Great and strong wind rent the mountain and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And afterward, an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him which said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thine covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Look at what God tells him. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshal to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphath of Abel, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it came to pass that he that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall, slay, shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Elijah slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So he departed thence and found Elijah. And God did several things for Elijah that I want to give you as we close tonight. Some things I want you to remember. Number one, people of great faith can also be people of great doubt. People of great faith can also be people of great doubt. We see that right here with Elijah. You want to know someone else we can think of in the scriptures who had great faith, but was a person of great doubt? Remember John the Baptist? Hey, go, go ask him, is he really the one we are searching after when he is in prison? And people of great faith can also be people of great doubt. The man here who called down fire from heaven, killed 450 prophets of Baal, was afraid of his life because of one woman. Now I know women are pretty powerful. And uh, sometimes scary. But anyways, we'll just leave that there. I'm just, I'm just teasing, Caroline. But the point of it is, at times, we'll be spiritually strong. And at other times, we will be spiritually weak. No matter how great of a Christian you think you are. Number two, when Elijah felt most, God was very close. 
You see, when he was there and uh, went to sleep, the angel of the Lord came, woke him up, gave his food, let him go back to sleep, told him to get up. He goes 40 days and goes, gets to Horeb. And then we see the world when all these things happening in a still small voice. When Elijah felt the most hopeless, God was right there with him. And Christian, tonight, at times of hopelessness in our lives, what you got to understand is this God is right there. This problem that we have a lot of times in our lives, get to a situation where, like, I just don't know where God is. He's right there with you. He will never leave you, He'll never forsake you. He's right there. God was with Elijah the entire time he was on the run from Jezebel. When Elijah felt most hopeless, God was very close. Number three, just because something is true doesn't mean it is true. Elijah believed that he was the only one to serve the Lord. And God said there at the end of the chapter, there was a thousand that hadn't bowed the knee. Number four, Great discouragement will somehow after great victory. We've got to be so, I don't know, we get our guard down. I don't know what exactly happens. Great discouragement will sometimes come after great victory. And not always, sometimes. Which leads us to number five. God's not done with us even when we are done with us. God's not done with us even when we are done with us. And you know what I'm talking about. Ever been done with yourself? I've been there. Okay, maybe you haven't, but I've been there. Look at chapter 19 and look at verse number 15. What did the Lord tell him? And the Lord said to him, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. God had something for him still to do. And you know, Elijah said, I'm out here under this juno. Just, I'd rather just die. God, just take my life from me. And God says, Elijah, I'm not done with you. And just because Elijah was done, God still had a plan. God still had a purpose, and God had something for Elijah to do. And one of the things that I feel with Elijah, and I, I've studied him quite a bit, and I'm still doing a lot more studying on Elijah. But one of the things that you see is God took, God just helped him. I think one of the things that, if you read about everything that Elijah said, I think he felt very lonely. And that's when God gave him Elisha. God helped him and gave him what he needed. And that's how God is. And so take the things tonight. I'm not an expert in all these things. I don't have all the answers. But I'll tell you this, this book does have the answers. And wow, the children of Israel go from such a great place the reign of David, the reign of Solomon, God doing great things to where everything destroyed him. And the problem was they didn't hearken to the voice of God and obey God. May we follow the Lord and do as he leads and follow him. Father, we love you. We thank you for this evening. Thank you for your love for us. Bless the rest of this evening and all that's, that we do. Help us live for you this week. Pray you bless our service on Saturday that many people would come and many would trust you as their Savior. We love you, bless the rest of our night, and bless this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.